0: It's time.
1: We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational.
0: And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And You're you still like for- me
1: or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it.
2: Uh longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We
1: have, I think it's four to one youth. That's what the sound was like at the Supreme Court last night as the word uh, came out that a draft memo, a draft decision on the Roe v. Wade case had been leaked out of the court, written by Justice Alito. We'll talk about that in just a second. So that was pro-life activists chanting, hey, hey, ho, ho, sexual fascists have got to go and um, uh, health care. Roe v. Wade has got to go. That's what they were chanting. And But the abortionists were chanting something very different. And it, not the abortionists, but the pro abort people that gathered there. And this is clip one. Let's listen to that. Okay, abortion is health care. Okay, and the others, hey, hey, ho, ho, Roe v. Wade has got to go. A lot of young people really committed to this, as you know. And by the way, barricades are being set up around the Supreme Court right now uh, because of the danger that this has put the justices in. The fact that that opinion was leaked is uh, really uh, dramatic. And we are going to talk about this more in the last segment. But I want to give you uh, just a hint of what, um, the text of this 100-page uh, decision that was leaked. Now, it's not final. It has to be signed by the—you know, the, enough justices have to vote in favor of this opinion to sign off. But it sounds like most of them have made their decision. John Roberts seems to be the one that's not in favor of overturning all of Roe versus Wade. That'll surprise you, won't it? But uh, let me read to you what Sam Alito wrote. We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives. All right, we'll come back to that in the last segment. But boy, what a great segue to what's happening today. Today is the primary in Indiana and Ohio. And that's when you go to the polls, and that's when those of you who are pro-life, who are pro-family, who are uh, not in favor of the government being so big that they start to manipulate and control your lives, you must go out and vote today. And you have to vote in these primaries because the kind of candidates that you would support can only win today. They can only win on the day of the primary in your state. If you wait till the uh, general election, it's too late. They will not have made the final Uh, Cut off because because. And so uh, today is Indiana and Ohio. Next week is Nebraska and West Virginia. And coming up on uh, May the 17th, North Carolina, Kentucky, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Idaho. The 24th is Texas, Alabama, Georgia and Arkansas. I know that's a quick take, but you need to look. And find out and get yourself educated, and that's what I talk to you about almost every day. Micah Clark is uh, represents the American Family Association in the great state of Indiana, and he joins us this morning to talk about what's going on there. Micah, thanks for joining me.
3: Well, Sandy, it's great to be on, and, and it's a great segue from what could be a, a great victory this summer at the Supreme Court. But I would caution people to be careful because this came from Politico, a left-wing source, this has never in my lifetime happened before. I've never heard of a Supreme Court brief being leaked like this, and I, I'm a little cynical. But this could be a push by the left to pack the courts and, the, and to mobilize the left and to get uh, the far left to pack the courts before November. Yeah, but we can pray lot- that this is true.
1: Well, I, I I think it is true, Mike. My from my reading this morning from people in D.C. Uh, inside the court world, uh, I believe it is true. But I think a lot of people are thinking that it, this is a way of uh, forcing justices to change their opinion, coming under so much pressure. Yes, but I agree. Uh, but, uh, but listen, we only have a few minutes here, and I want us to sure. talk about what's going on in Indiana, because I have to tell you, I've looked a lot. I still don't—I'm wondering if much is going on in Indiana regarding the election. Can you help us figure this out?
3: Well, we're hearing that the turnout is low. We, we do not have—we have a U.S. Senate at the top of our ballot, Senate race with an uncontested primary, so there's not a lot of big races in the congressional districts. We have one open seat. Um, the big the big races are really our state legislative races. All 100 House members are up for re-election, and 25 okay. of our 50 senators are up for re-election because they have a four-year term, and they stagger those. But what's really interesting here is the primary has really pushed the establishment Republicans to the right because we've had challengers who are going after the establishment for uh, being weak on abortion, being weak on critical race theory uh other issues that that the Republican legislature has kind of failed on um, you've got this division in the pro life community between Indiana rights to life and another organization that um, is a no compromise organization, and they've put up a bunch of candidates forcing a lot of the establishment Republicans to spend a lot of money to defend their record and to it, – it's funny, Sandy. Every every two years, the Republicans talk about how conservative they are, and then we don't hear them <laughs> from them the next two years.
1: Exactly. But, uh, I think you know what, Mike It's a healthy let, thing. Let, let me interject something real quick because – and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Just people will have to take my word for it. One of the first things I learned when I went to CWA to be president in Washington was that the National Right to Life – was, uh, well, I don't know how to delicately say, was in bed with the Republican Party. Whatever they wanted, that's what they did. And I have found through the years that they cover, they don't really do anything. They have the bond moniker, but uh, they are sort of right to life unless it doesn't cost them anything. And that sort of describes most of the pro-life groups, I think. So you say that this, uh, what's the name of the Indiana right to life group that's the hardliner?
3: It's called Hoosiers for Life.
1: Okay. So is there, do they they have a voter guide?
3: They do not now. We have, we're using iVoter, of course, and we've surveyed all their candidates. There are about twenty-five races where they've put up candidates in the Indiana House, and uh, I, you know, Sandy, I, I have to work with Right to Life and Hoosiers for Life. And I have friends on both sides, but one of the risks that we run is, as activists is that we can confuse a place at the table or access to politicians for power, and that's not always the case. And I'm afraid there are there is a tendency for Pro-life, pro-family, and and pro-second amendment people to confuse being able to talk to a politician with being able to influence them.
0: And sometimes
3: the establishment tries to pull the wool over our eyes by talking to us, but they fail on the action side. And so, there's a huge battle going on now over the, the what I would call establishment, or the political party, the Republican Party. Defending its actions and trying to prove to voters that they really are conservative, I think it's a very healthy thing,
1: yes, of course it is if you can pull but the problem is that when they get into govern, they always disappoint and so i'm I'm kind right. of a hardliner, Mike, I know you are too. I know that you no, are too I agree. and I, I agree he, yeah. yeah, so the i Voter guide is uh that's what AFA is using i Voter guide and you can yes. find it at i Voter right. guide and that will give you so this has the Indiana even statewide races right?
3: It does. They have all the federal, congressional, and state house races. And and Sandy, I'm hearing in Indiana, it happens to be raining where I am in in the Indianapolis area pretty heavily. I'm hearing voter turnout is light. So that that means for conservatives, people pro-faith, pro-family people, go out and vote. Your vote matters a ton. If it's a low turnout, our people can have huge impact on some of these elections. And I'll say this, too. There are some incumbents who definitely need our support, who stood with us. And hopefully you can see that in I Voter Guide. But uh, vote your values today. And if you don't know, look at I Voter Guide. And and uh, I'd say this too: if you have two poor candidates, you don't have to vote for that race. But please go out and vote for the ones that matter to you, that we know share our values. And and pray today. We have to pray and take action.
1: Mike, uh, Jim Banks is running again. Of course, he's been a, he's been a real star yes. in D.C. I can tell you, he's he's really shaken up the trees, and so he does. He's un, unopposed, and that's good. But yeah. any other races that you want to highlight, um, people, because I, I, you know, we're trying to help. If we could give a little bit more clear guidance, that would be great. Now that I understand, we can't go into state, house, and senate races, but they are so important. I would say uh, that a lot of these legislatures, especially the Republican legislatures, to conservatives, have been a tremendous disappointment. Uh, because they, they well, the uh,
3: House Republican, yes, the, the House Republican election campaign, campaign committee has spent over one point two million dollars defending incumbents. But what's interesting is they spent over five hundred thousand dollars trying to defeat two incumbents who are uh, uh, what we would call hardliners because they they give the establishment stomach aches over some of the things that they do. So the establishment is working against some of our good guys. But I, w- name I would to highlight the ninth. Yes, can you n-
4: yeah,
3: yeah, John Jacobs, okay. Our state representative John Jacobs has had five hundred thousand dollars spent against him. He was kicked out of the caucus for pushing the abortion issue, um, and so they've spent five hundred thousand dollars, which in Indiana is a lot of money to defeat an incumbent. Yeah. And up north, a man named Curtin Nisley, I think they've spent close to that amount up there as well. John's a freshman; this is his first term. I think he's he he's in trouble. It's always easy to take out a person in their first term before they get established. But that's a huge race. We also have a congressional race, an open seat in the ninth congressional just south of Indianapolis. Uh, Trey Hollingsworth uh, did not choose to run again. So you have a former congressman, Mike Sodrell, who's been very pro-family, and a state senator named Aaron Houchin, who has a pretty good conservative record as well. And there's three or four other candidates. We're running, but most people believe it's between Houchin and Soderl uh, because of the large amount of money they've been able to raise. And so that's one a lot of people are watching. As you said, Jim Banks does not have a primary phone. Jim's a dear friend. He was in the legislature. A lot of people don't know. He met his wife working at Focus on the Family. Uh, <laughs> Jim is a great guy.
1: Yeah. And is. I've
3: known him for, for years. But the big race is probably that congressional race and then the state house races.
1: Okay. All right. So again, we say I voter guide. Now, how about your statewide races? Mm-hmm. How about your governor and your uh, your state officers? Governor, governor
3: is not up this time. We have a U.S. Okay. Senate race, but Todd Young is our senator. He's he's a moderate, but he uh, he does not have a primary opponent. He's got a ton of money. I'm not even sure what the Democrats are going to do for him in the fall. They don't have a deep bench. Uh, we're a very red state, uh, which is which is where the frustration comes in. We have super majorities in our House and Senate. We have so. 70 House members who are Republicans, 39 senators out of 50. And a lot of people are like, well, we've got these super majorities. We've had these for years. We got a Republican governor. Every office holder statewide is Republican. Why aren't we doing things like Ron DeSantis, like yes. Greg Abbott in Texas, like Oklahoma, yeah. these other red states? Instead, we're very timid about doing things. And, and let's just be honest if the Democrats had a one vote majority, they would ram every left-wing thing down our throat, and the Republicans have super majorities, and they seem to be afraid a lot of times of the conservative agenda, and that's yes. what put them in office, but they, they lack leadership in a lot of cases, and of course, not every Republican. There's a lot of good incumbents. I'm watching a race down south with a guy named Bruce Borders, who's a very close friend. Uh, he has an incumbent who's running against him. Bruce has been in office. We redrew our district lines this year. and. uh Legislator moved into Bruce's district because he didn't like his other district. And that's put a real challenge on a, on a solid conservative with Bruce Borders. But um, I think most incumbents are favored, but we, have, we, we always have some surprises that could send shockwaves through Indianapolis.
1: Let me just uh, state one more time. Especially state legislatures, they are not as famous. The guys that serve in the state senate and Mm -hmm. state legislature, but they impact your lives in many ways more dearly, more nearly, more personally than anything that happens in Washington. So let me just say again: if you're in Indiana, go to iVoter Guide. Go to iVoter Guide and. Check to see who's running in your area and what their record is, and who's supporting them. I Voter Guide is very thorough, and it will help you make a good decision. And so that's our that's our best. Remember, it matters. It matters. And somehow, Micah, I hope we can open up, uh, wake up people in Indiana. They seem to be asleep. I agree with you. Uh, We don't hear much from Indiana, and so that needs to change because we're losing our country. And Indiana could help save it if they would step up to the plate. Micah Clark, American Family Association of Indiana. Micah, great to talk to you, and thank you so much for your information this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
0: We live in a day when America's families are under attack like never before. Buddy Smith. Senior Vice President of the American Family Association. The war against biblical principles rages on numerous fronts. The internet, Hollywood, Washington DC, America's corporate boardrooms, and the list goes on. At American Family Association, we're committed to standing against the enemies of God, the enemies of your family. And we recognize it's an impossible task without God's favor and your partnership. Thank you for being faithful to pray for this ministry, to give financially, and to respond to our calls for activism. What you do on the home front is crucial to what we do on the battlefront. We praise God for your faithfulness. And may He give us many victories in the battles ahead as we work together to restore our nation's biblical foundations.
1: This is Pause to Pray. A chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today we pray for Stephen Nally, acting administrator of the U.S. Energy Information Administration. His office is the nation's premier source of energy information in our country. Proverbs 2.10 reminds us of the importance of knowledge. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Stephen Nally in his work at the EIA. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at paustopray.org.
2: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next.
4: When you're working to protect and serve your community and country, you need a degree program that fits into your busy schedule. At Liberty University, you'll find just that. With 100% online program options and no set login times, you can advance your skills without sacrificing your commitments. Plus, we offer exclusive tuition rates and discounts to current and former service members, their spouses, and first responders. Learn more by texting DEGREE to 49595. That's DEGREE to 49595.
2: The Department of Homeland Security is standing by their pick to head up the Disinformation Governance Board. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas tells Fox News Sunday Nina Jankowicz is a tremendous authority on disinformation. And it turns out she is. Ms. Jankowicz is known for alleging armed Trump supporters would Disrupt elections did not happen. She also advanced false narratives about the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, saying it was nothing more than Russia propaganda, fake news. In other words, Miss Jenkowitz is indeed an expert at spreading disinformation. But the greater concern is the Biden administration is creating a ministry of truth designed to shut down any dissenting viewpoints. Critics scoff, but I'm not so sure. This is the same administration that authorized the FBI to investigate parents who protested at school board meetings. So I have no doubt they would deploy armed squads to bully and intimidate conservatives. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning
5: on American Family
0: Radio.
1: All right, Sandy Rios with you this morning. Uh, We had a clip, but uh, we'll forget the clip because we want to talk. Uh, there's a one of the other races, of course, taking place in the country tomorrow. The primary today, today is Ohio. Uh, we talked about Indiana a few minutes ago. Today is the uh, the contest in Ohio, and of course, all eyes, I think, there there are a couple of really important races. Uh, the governor's race is pretty important. It looks like Mike DeWine is leading handily. Uh, no one quite understands that. I have an article here that says. Um, Something about that he's been forgiven. Oh, GOP voters have largely forgiven Ohio Governor DeWine for peak COVID-19 restrictions. That's interesting to me, and I want to ask our next guest about that. Uh, but really, all eyes are on this Senate race, where there are several candidates, but the top two at this point look to be Josh Mandel and J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance has been endorsed, of course, by President Trump. He was not ahead until that happened. Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene went to endorse him as well. Uh, Tucker Carlson has virtually been endorsing him by having him frequently on his uh, show. So it makes it confusing, doesn't it? Well, Josh Mandel, on the other hand, has been endorsed by uh, Ted Cruz and Mike Lee. And he is endorsed by all of the, I think virtually all the Ohio family organizations, whether they're pro-life or pro-Second Amendment. Um, by, by the way, when I read uh, about Josh in uh, these particular, these different uh, narratives, different articles, they never mention that. They always say he's a, uh, he's, supported by a club for growth, but they never mentioned the family groups, which I think is interesting. All right, so we're down to the wire. Today is the election, and we've asked J.D. Vance to join us, but we did not hear back from him, but we asked Josh Mandel, and here he is with us this morning. Good morning, Josh.
4: Good morning, Sandy.
1: Thank you for joining us again. It's nice to talk to you. Uh, let me remind them who you are, Josh. You served for a number of years Hang on a second. as the treasurer for the state of Ohio. You are a military veteran. You ser- you served in combat overseas. Uh, and you also introduced OhioCheckbook.com, the first of its kind transparency website, uh, posting online this, the the details of state spending, which is pretty incredible. Um, and Josh just has a great record on the issue of life and family, and that's why the pro-life and family groups are supporting him so strongly. So I'll be quiet now, Josh, and ask you what your perspective is on what's happening uh, as of this morning when people are going to the polls to vote.
4: Well, I, I appreciate it, Sandy. I indeed am endorsed by all the pro family groups here in Ohio. Uh, Ohio Values Voters, which is one of the pointy tip of the spear organizations uh, that fights to protect traditional family values, fights to protect religious liberty, uh, is fighting to stop the critical race theory and comprehensive sex education and all the trash that's being taught in the schools, all the transgender craziness. And so I'm very proud to be endorsed by Ohio Value Voters. Was also uh, endorsed by the Right to Life Action Coalition of Ohio. Um, This is a group of Right to Life leaders and activists um, who have had the courage to be for the heartbeat bill when John Kasich was trying to stop it. And they've really been um, at the leadership point on everything having to do with protecting the unborn and protecting life from conception to natural death. And as you mentioned, had Ted Cruz, who's a friend and supporter, barnstorming the state with me this weekend. And something, Sandy, your your listeners might find interesting is that instead of running my campaign through traditional Republican Party groups, I've actually run my campaign through churches. Uh, when we first started uh, running the campaign through churches, my opponents were laughing at me. The uh, media was ridiculing me. The establishment rhino Republicans were poking fun, but they're not laughing anymore. Uh, In fact, this weekend when Ted Cruz is in town, we did most of our events at churches. We went to Victory Christian in in the Dayton area, went to a Northwest Baptist church in Toledo, went to High Street Baptist in Columbus and Solid Rock Church uh, down in the Cincinnati area. And the reason I'm running my campaign through churches is because I do not believe our country will be saved in political offices. Um, I think the only place it'll be saved is in houses of worship and in uh, kitchen tables throughout this, uh, throughout this nation. Uh, I, I view what's going on in Washington, on wall street, in Hollywood in Silicon Valley as an all out assault on the Judeo Christian bedrock of America. I believe that the coastal elites are, Waging an assault on our values because they want to institute socialism in this country, and one of the first steps in socialist regimes through the arc of history uh, is taking God and faith out of society. And uh, I, I, when you look at the corporate media, when you look at the leftist politicians, when you look at culture through sports and entertainment and all of that, um, it is, uh, it's an all-out assault on our values. And listen, Sandy, the the, the main difference, if, if you want to look at it sort of like at a 10,000 foot uh, view between the left and the right, is that the left believes in one nation under government, whereas we believe in one nation under God. Okay. And when someone believes in one nation under government, the rules always change. They just make up the rules as they go along. You know, boys can be girls, girls can be boys, you know, all this crazy stuff. But when we believe in one nation under God, the rules do not change because they've been around through eternity. And um, that's, I believe, one of the main fundamental differences and dividing points of what's going on in politics today. And, you know, I live in a state, the state of Ohio. I'm running for the U.S. Senate in a state here in Ohio where our state motto is, with God, all things are possible. And, uh, you know, I live that every day.
1: You know, Josh, I I have to comment that um, I say often, that Republicans are always pro-life at election time. They always say that, and then they go uh, in the national offices anyway, and a lot of times in the state houses too. Uh, they go to serve, and then when it comes, push comes to shove, they don't defund Planned Parenthood. They don't pay any price at all. As long as it's easy, they'll do something because they want your vote. Uh, but they're not sold out to this, and I, you know, some and they also will visit churches and you know, <laughs> wave the banner of conservatism. But in your case, I know firsthand from friends of mine who are in Ohio supporting you, uh, that they've watched you through the years, and this isn't pandering to churches. This is really who you have been, and I think that's one of the dangers, And that takes me to JD Vance. People are confused about uh, JD Vance is saying many of the things maybe not quite like you said them, Josh, but he's saying good things. Uh, and my concern is that people can say a lot of things, but uh, you don't know until they get in there what they're actually going to do. As we've learned, he's your strongest opponent. As we've learned more about him, why, why personally do you think that you're a better candidate than he is?
4: Uh, there's so many reasons. I mean, J.D. Vance is not even a registered Republican, whereas... Think about that for a second, Sandy. He's running for U.S. Senate in Ohio for the Republican nomination. He's not a registered Republican. Whereas I've been uh, involved as a leader in the conservative movement, the pro-family movement, the constitutional conservative movement, the religious liberty movement for so long, and I have the scars. J.D. Vance has never once been involved in the pro-life movement. I've never seen him at anything having to do with protecting life in any way, shape, or form. Whereas before I was a leader in the pro-life movement, I was an activist in the pro-life movement. And the point you just made, Sandy, um, about Republicans who say they're pro-life but then hide, it's so true. I'll, I'll, if I may to tell you a quick story, when sure. I was running for state treasurer here, you know, I, I'd go to these rubber chicken dinners and clam bakes and hog roasts, and you just see all these state reps and state senators and Kasich running for governor and this guy running for attorney general. And they all get up behind that microphone and say they were pro-life. So we get elected. And one of the first bills that was uh, introduced in legislature was the heartbeat bill to stop abortion. So I figured, Sandy, you know, I'd I'd help lead the charge on it, which I did. But I just assumed because it was a Republican governor, Kasich, who said he was pro-life when he was campaigning, Republican state house with a Republican speaker, Republican state Senate, with a Republican Senate president, and all these Republicans who I saw you know, talking about being pro-life, we would be the first state in America to pass the heartbeat bill. It would be so easy. We start charging forward you know, alongside uh, me and a lot of pro-life leaders and activists in the state. And I, I look behind me, assuming there's going to be an army behind us. In Sandy, there was no one there. And it was one of my first really saddening lessons in politics is that so many of these politicians who say they're pro-life, when they actually get in office, they hide. And they go to the Speaker or the Senate President, whether it's in D.C. or in state capitals, and they say, please don't make me vote on this. And what I learned was there's a very, very, very big difference between friends in the pro-life movement and champions. You know, a friend might be a congressman or a senator, who you have to hold their hand to make them vote pro life, or you have to almost drag them there to vote pro life. They might get there at the end of the day, but it's not what they want to do. A champion is someone like me, Josh Mandel, someone like Ted Cruz, who's endorsed me, someone like my friend Jim Jordan, who wake up every morning living and breathing and sleeping protection of the unborn, protection of life. And we're willing to take arrows, we're willing to take bullets, we're willing to. To, to have blood drawn and, and we scars on our bodies because we've been attacked so viciously by Planned Parenthood and NARAL and Emily's List and all these abortionists, you know, that is a champion. And, and that's another fundamental difference between me and J.D. Vance is that I have been in Ohio and will continue to be in Washington, a real champion for life. And this J.D. Vance guy has been nowhere to be seen in our movement.
1: Yeah, I have to say also that the one big concern for me is also J.D. Vance's support by Peter Thiel, who's that billionaire, tech tech billionaire, who is, uh, doesn't care about the social issues at all. He's made that very clear. He's openly gay, and he doesn't think that—he's just not concerned. And I don't know why he'd pour so much money into this race if, that, if uh, J.D. Vance is so committed to it. It doesn't make sense to me. And I always say to people—I've said it every day this week, I think, and last week too— uh, that when you look at someone, you have to see who's endorsing them. On the issue of uh, Matt Gates and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene, they are—and uh, think, and I'm g- very grateful for this. These are judgments we all have to make, but they, I'm sure, are helping J.D. Vance because President Trump endorsed him. So, um, um, anyway, uh, so, Josh, let me just say I did not really give you proper uh, details. You are a Marine. <laughs> And uh, you also graduated uh, from Case Western with a law degree. So, and that takes me to what happens in the Senate. You know, Uh, we're talking today about what's happening in the Supreme Court, and I I don't want to get off on that because I'm going to talk about it after you and I say goodbye. Uh, But big, big things happening at the Supreme Court, and of course, senators, what you do, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who live in Ohio, how you vote today determines, in many ways, who's going to be the next Supreme Court nominee. You have, it, it's, it has so many connections to your life. And even if you're not from Ohio, it will affect you in that way. Uh, but uh, um, let me ask you one last thing, J- uh, Josh, before we say goodbye, you have mentioned a couple of other races. Can you give a shout out to any other races there? Give people some guidance, uh, who you think are good candidates in other races?
4: Uh, in in Ohio? or Yes, in Ohio.
1: In, in Ohio. Oh,
4: um, you know, mo- so I don't know if you realize this, Candy, but the, legislative races they actually got pushed to august because there was a big fight in the courts and so a lot of the best candidates are actually like some of our real champions are are in the legislature uh one is a gentleman named ron ferdison ron is a a state legislator in eastern ohio pro-liberty pro-life you know i think one day down the road uh you'll see uh you'll see ron um, in the congress or the senate um, another is uh, Derek Marin. He's a, a, a state rep um, from uh, northwest Ohio outside the Toledo area. He's uh, another one that I think one day you'll see in, in Congress or uh, or in the Senate. Um, there's, uh, you know, my friend Jim Jordan obviously is is up today. Um, they've attacked him a lot. Um, and, you know, if you're here in Ohio, uh, you know, the congressional elections are today. So I hope you go out yeah. there and, uh, and, and vote for uh, Jim Jordan. So yeah. those are a few uh, champions okay. for life and champions for liberty in my state.
1: Can you say something about the governor's race? I just read that headline before I introduced you. The GOP, the GOP voters have largely forgiven Governor DeWine for peak COVID-19 restrictions. Do you think that's true? And do you think that any of the—he's being challenged by Jim Renacci and uh, Farmer Joe Blystone, interesting guy, and former State Representative Ron Hood. Your thoughts about that race?
4: Yeah, so I think if if one of these candidates ran against DeWine like one on one, you know, I think it it would have been very very competitive. Uh, but what happened is I think there was three candidates uh, who ran against DeWine, and so you know basically whatever anti DeWine vote is out there is getting split three ways. Um, so that's you know just the reality of of what's happening here um, today. Um, I will tell you, I know you're going to do the next segment on um, the news out of the Supreme Court. If I may just just say one thing on it. Sure. Um, I, you know, I've been an activist in the pro-life movement for so, so long. And, uh, you know, if in fact uh, what leaked out is true, um, this will save countless babies and children. And, uh, you know, it's the first time since Roe which I think has been unconstitutional since 1973, um, that the fundamental you know, right to life of the unborn um, will be protected. And so it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I will also it is amazing. Say
4: <laughs> that I, I will also say, Sandy, that by the left leaking this, they are trying to incite mob rule. And if you look what they tried to do with the vaccine, You look what they tried to do with the masks. You look what they're trying to do in the schools, you know, with our kids. Um, If you look what they try to do by attacking the police. The playbook of the left, today's left, today's Democrat Party is mob rule. And by leaking this out, they are trying to incite mob rule.
1: Yeah, and, um, I, you know, yeah, we need we, to be
4: eyes open about that.
1: That's right. And I have some information about that that I'm going to give. An ass- Stay with us, Josh. No, I'm kidding you. But uh, listen, I appreciate you joining us on this busy morning. Maybe maybe this morning you could actually sleep a little bit. But today is the day in Ohio to go to the polls. And if you are confused still, go to iVoterGuide. iVoterGuide, you can find it. Just Google it online and you'll get a great way to assess the candidates. And this is Josh Mandel who's been talking to us. And this is that Senate race, which is so important to what's happening. So many things right on this. So, Josh, thanks for joining us this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.
5: When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective.
4: Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience.
5: If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News Podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net.
2: I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Popular Sunday school song I sung as a child. The subject is important. How do we get joy in our heart? I'm Charles Morris. Join me all week as we look at Philippians, and we're joined by musician Randall Goodgame in a series called
5: Rejoicing in Jesus. Haven Today, weekday mornings at 430 Central
0: on American Family Radio. Listen online at AFR.net.
4: The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, In the thirteenth year of his reign. My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. Jeremiah descended from a priestly lineage in Judah. He grew up in Anathoth, about two to four miles northeast of Jerusalem, where the temple was located. He began ministering prophetically about 627 BC, during the thirteenth year of King Josiah's reign. This is about five years before Josiah began Judah's spiritual reformation it is very likely that Josiah's Reformation was influenced by Jeremiah's preaching.
5: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association.
0: So there's this couple named Kyle and Katie, and they were excited. They were expecting their third child, and then they got some really bad news. Their unborn baby desperately needed surgery in utero. They had switched the way they pay their health care bills from health insurance to MediShare. So they were wondering, is this going to work? It's a life and it's my son's life. And, you know, we should all be doing anything we can for that. Kyle knew they were looking at a mountain of medical bills. And of that, I had to pay almost nothing.
1: We felt like MediShare was rallying behind us, almost like family.
0: MediShare is a community of Christians who care about people like Kyle and Katie and little Liam who is now a happy little boy who loves to play outside with his brother and sister. You know, Liam's around because of that.
1: We'll always remember.
0: Find out how you can save $500 a month or more on your health care. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE.
4: This
5: is Frank Affney with the Secure Freedom Minute, the leak of a draft. Supreme Court opinion signaling the majority's intention to overturn Roe v. Wade is an ominous indication of what may be in store for the country over the next six months. Expect actions aimed at preventing such a decision from being finalized and or influencing this fall's elections. They might include institutional assaults like ending the Senate filibuster to enact pro-abortion legislation and perhaps pack the Supreme Court. Alternatively, there may be physical threats against its justices, or perhaps even a renewed color revolution laying waste to American cities like the so-called Summer of Love two years ago. The latter require an end to the Biden administration's politicization and weaponization of U.S. national and homeland security agencies against its partisan foes. Real threats to freedom must be countered, not deflections like white supremacists, insurrectionists, and disinformation. This is Frank Gaffney.
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy
5: Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Fears of recession are growing, showing up in the stock market on this last trading day of the month. The S&P 500 down more than
1: 5% in April so far. So the average American 401k retirement account losing around $6,000 this month alone. A new report on the U.S. economy showing the economy shrinking for the first time since the early days of the pandemic. Inflation, supply chain issues, the ongoing war in Ukraine all hurting the economy. So the nation's output of goods and services. GDP fell 1.4 percent. All right, so that's just a bit of a report from ABC, and I, I wanted to play that because I wanted to remind you that who you elect today has an impact on that. If you decide not to vote, those of you in Indiana who are lethargic today, uh, if you then you get what you you get you reap what you sow. If you don't care enough to go out and vote and to pay attention, then this is what you get. You get a Congress that does nothing. A Congress that does horrible things, uh, you know, they take your pick, your poison, and so uh, we must. We get members of the Senate who have no courage and are just really have become disgusting characters, from my perspective, for years sitting there doing horrible things. That's because those of us, you know, we're having a great life. Why should we bother? Uh, I have other things. I have to go to the store. I have an appointment. I don't know, but step up to the plate. And find out who's running in your area and pay attention. And if you haven't done it before today, then, you know, like, you know, just like kind of the principle, go and sin no more. So start today. Start today. If you've never paid attention to these local races uh, and you've never participated in the primaries, you can do that now. Go to iVoterGuy. You can find out when you're—I can't tell you every race. I'm just not capable of tracking everything in all the 50 states, and I'll do my best to keep up with it. Uh, but today is Ohio and Indiana, and by the way, we got I had a caller who told me that uh, there are county primaries in t- Tennessee today. These are county offices. You say, well, I never, I never pay attention to that. You should pay attention to that. That's uh, where you live. This you have you need, noticed any of these school board elections and how they have devolved into you know police coming and arresting parents it's because we were asleep at the wheel. And that needs to stop. So people in Tennessee, the county primaries are today and also the state judicial offices. Do you think judges are important? Anybody listening to me think that state judges are important? <laughs> we know they're important for heaven's sake. Uh and also he our listener reminds uh, reminds me that uh the state and federal primaries for the state and federal offices will be August the 4th, but the county elections in Tennessee are today. So it's another thing for all of you in Tennessee. Uh, to step up to the plate for. All right, I want to go back to the decision that um, was made. Well, that's not true. What I just said. The decision that it looks like has been made by the Supreme Court. A hundred-page uh, legal decision on Roe versus Wade. It looks as though the court is actually contemplating overturning Roe versus Wade. In fact, uh, so far as to say that if this, if this is an accurate piece of paper, pieces of paper that they really have made that decision. I think only one, according to what I'm reading, has is waffling, and that's Justice Roberts. Because this is according to politico and according to uh, you know, you've already been told, and you should hear it again, that this is absolutely reprehensible that someone in the court has leaked this. And I want to go to that, I get some inform I have some information about that I want to share with you. But uh, Jonathan Turley has written this. He said, um, Dobbs was always the blockbuster decision of the term, and that's the Mississippi abortion case, and has the potential to overturn Roe v. Wade. So he says, This leak with, will cause lasting damage to the court, which has long relied on the integrity of members and clerks to preserve institutional secrecy and integrity. And I'll come back again to that. Let me just remind you of what, this, what they're so up in arms about. This is uh, this is a leap through Politico. Uh, now a lot of all the other outlets are reporting on it too. But here are some things that were written in Alito's opinion: We hold that Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion, and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision. Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It is time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected uh, representatives. And let me just uh, say by way of a teaching that in 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed by the court, there were only, I think... I think 30 of the 50 states uh, did not allow abortion at all. Uh, there were some states, California and New York, as I recall, were on the fence, so they didn't have laws to, you know, to stop abortion, uh, and they were pushing for abortion to be legalized. But not the rest of the states. For the most part, no. It was, a, it was repugnant. You probably won't remember this except those of you that are older. There was a time when the word abortion, polite people did not say that word. So suddenly, the Supreme Court, just out of the dry cloth, pulls this notion that there was a right to abortion written in the Constitution, which is ludicrous, could I say? Have you read the Constitution? Do you see any right to abortion? There's none in there. It was wrong. Even Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the, the, R- Mrs., the notorious RBG, uh, said publicly that Ro- Roe v. Wade was wrongly decided uh, because they, they should never have done that. The Supreme Court should never. They're a third branch of the government. It's not their job to make law. Uh, they are to interpret the law, and boy, did they ever. And the the, the companion case, which was Casey, Doe was uh, based on a—both of the cases were based on stories that were lies. Neither of them were true. And the feminists conjured up these two stories. Uh, I'm just blanking out a name. Sandra Cano was the person involved in the—, the uh, Casey decision. Casey was the companion decision on this, and Casey made abortion legal for all nine months. All nine months. Not only did the Supreme Court say that you could have an abortion, they said you could have it for all nine months. This is back in 1973. Does that give you an idea of how radical this was? And so, for the last however many years it's been now, we've had millions and millions of babies killed. And we've been divided as a country. In fact, um, Sam Alito goes on to write, Justice Alito, The inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not only deeply rooted in the nation's history and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persisted from the earliest days of the common law until 1973. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply long-standing principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. And so uh, that's—Politico that's, has the whole story, the whole piece, if you want to read what he wrote exactly. But now I want to tell you something else, because you might not hear this other places— all right, so it has been leaked by Politico, and everybody's wondering who in the world leaked this. And I told you barricades are up around the Supreme Court. Do you think about, remember when Kavanaugh was going through his confirmation, and the, this mad, absolutely insane group of people were shouting and hissing and Uh, This talk about disrupting an official proceeding. That's what the guys on J6 are being accused of, even though the proceeding, they weren't disrupting in the room of the proceeding of counting the uh, or taking the electoral counts of the various states. Uh, These people in the Supreme Court chamber or in the chamber of the um, Senate, where the Justice Kavanaugh was in his hearing right there uh, tried to disrupt and did disrupt. It was just a national disgrace. And do you remember them going to the Supreme court and banging on the doors and climbing up on the statues and shrieking like demons, really like howling demons. Uh, and so now barricades are going up around the Supreme court. You think they might need those barricades to proceed? Do you think Supreme court justice might be justices might be in danger? I might remind you that Clarence Thomas's uh, address was leaked to the press uh, since, you know, now we know he's such a, uh, you know, he's he's got to be, he's got to <laughs> recuse himself from the court. So they're after him and they published his address. It's just disgraceful. You think he's in danger? You think the, do, do you think Justice Alito's in danger in his home? You think Justice, uh, this is untenable. This is not how we operate. This is not how we operate. And that's why some people are saying, you heard Josh Mandel say a few minutes ago that the left wants to. Run by mob rule, because that's what's going to happen if we unleash the mob. uh, Supreme, those already tepid, little frightened creatures that sit at the Supreme Court. Not all of them, just a lot of them right now. uh, The ones that are, except for Justice Alito and uh, Clarence Thomas, and also Gorsuch, but Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett, and uh, Roberts. I don't have a lot of faith. I think you know. In some ways, I wonder if this is not their way of buying back, um, you know, some good PR. Uh, with conservatives because they've made such bad decisions. This is the one thing they care about. And you know what? It is very important. Life is very important, but other things are too. Nevertheless, I'm off the, off the market. I want to talk a little bit about a few more things because um, Kevin Cork writes, court watchers are practically incandescent at this alleged leak. Jonathan Turley says, it is hard not to view this as a malicious act a breach of the most fundamental obligations and traditions of the court, the greatest crisis Chief Justice Roberts has faced on the court. And so, um, so then there's, there are, they think the speculation is that this was leaked by someone in the court who did not like the decision and uh, wanted to embarrass and bring intimidation and hope that someone would change their mind because it's not a done deal. And so some are saying, well, then let's let that opinion, bring it out today. Everybody just step up to the plate, sign get it over with. Just just bring it. this is what you were, had consensus on doing, then do it. And do it today and get the screamers off the court and get this thing settled because once it's done, it's done. Uh, but um, now people are speculating about who it was. So this is what I want to get to now. Um, this is from some insiders. Let's see, I would say... I often will quote Instapundant when I talk to you. I can't think of what his name is, actually. But um, he writes, Glenn is his first name. He said, a friend comments, whatever position you may have on the issue, leaking a draft SCOTUS opinion to try to change the outcome of the case is a new level of brinksmanship that speaks to the hyper-politicization of law schools and an accompanying valorization of activism in higher ed. You may not have seen this, but um, let's see. It was, I think it was the Federalist Society that was speaking at, I believe, Harvard. Uh, and I just saw this clip briefly a couple of weeks ago. And the students would not let uh, the person from federal, I think it was Federalist Society. Oh, it's a It was a conservative legal outlet. They would not let her speak. They just screamed. They stood up. And these are law students. These are law students. And the point was made. How, if law, when they go to the court, the whole idea of learning to argue your case is to listen to the opposite opinion. You're supposed to be actually able to argue both sides. How can they possibly learn to do that if they are, you know, into this hyperactivism where they don't want to listen? And that's what law schools are doing. So um, Glenn goes on to say, assuming this was leaked by a clerk, the leaker should never work in law again. It's a betrayal of the highest order. But, of course, professionalism has proven to be weak sauce, indeed, when it comes to restraining activism. Uh, from Josh Blackman, The court should issue the Dobbs opinion as soon as possible. Do it tomorrow. Don't wait until Thursday or Monday or the end of June. The longer this drags on, the worse the court will be. If any members of the majority change their vote in response to the leak, that change will be seen as a direct response to this leak. And from blog. It's impossible to overstate the earthquake this will cause inside the court in terms of the destruction of trusting trust among the justices and their staff. This leak is the gravest, most unforgivable sin. And so um, there, there are a lot of opinions about that. But I want to—here's—now uh, here's, here's—this is really insight. This is from people that I know that this is not published. From a, uh, I, I have no corroborating information. I'm sharing out of genuine interest and curiosity. And so this is uh, this is not in the category of proven, but this is from Matt Walking. He says a person called Amit Jane, clerks for the Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. As a Yale student, Jane blasted Yale for supporting Brett Kavanaugh's nomination. Jane was quoted in a 2017 political piece written by Josh Gerstein. Today, Gerstein published the draft SCOTUS opinion on Roe. Let me read that again. Amit Jane was quoted in a 2017 political piece written by Josh Gernstein. Today, Gernstein published the draft SCOTUS opinion on Roe. So people are putting uh, pieces together, uh, trying to figure out this puzzle. We don't know if it was Amit Jane clerking for Sonia Sotomayor, but I bet they will find out. Um, so that's, that's, the, that, that's huge news. That is just huge news and it won't be there'll be discussion of this all week and probably in perpetuity because Roe versus Wade was such an impactful decision and it affects the life and death of millions of unborn children. How in the world did we get in this position in the first place? Or well, trying to reverse it looks like we might and that is the good news. Sandy Rios in the Morning on AFR Talk.
5: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast